Good morning. We want to thank you for being here today. We're so thankful for each and every person. It's a beautiful day. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. If you're visiting, as always, we want you to come back. We want you to know it's an honor for us to have you with us. We'd love to have you come back and be with us again. If you are looking for a church home, as always, we try to invite people to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and join hands with us as we try to make Christ known, not just in this community, but really around the world. And so we thank you for considering the work here, and we'd love to have you as a part of our family. It's good to see Michael only and his wife with us today. We're very grateful to have them with us. They are from Michigan, and Michael and his family were with us for a couple of years when he was a student at MSOP. And he's doing a great work now, and so we're very thankful that he's with us today. We're looking in our lesson today at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to be asking the question, what does God see in me? That's a probing question. What does God see in me? Now, first and foremost to understand that God sees me as the crown of His creation. In light of everything that God created, we as members of the human family, we are the crown of His creation. We have been made in His image and likeness. And so, God, because we are the crown of His creation, He is interested in our well-being, our welfare, and He is invested heavily in each and every one of us. There are a number of passages that come to mind, but one, the golden text of the Bible, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In our lesson today, I want to ask this question. What does God see in me? Let's look at Psalm 139. David, of course, is the writer here. David being the king of Israel. David was a man after God's own heart. And what I want us to do is first, I want us to make an examination of the text. Then secondly, we're going to make some application from this text. So number one, when we begin to look at this lesson text, To understand that there is an invitation made by David, the king of Israel, to Jehovah God. And I would suggest to you that it is a personal invitation. Not just a personal invitation, but a passionate invitation. Listen to what David said in the long ago. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. David, asking God, inviting Him to search Him out, to know what He is thinking, to examine His life, which really leads to a second thought. And that is the examination. And there are a couple of thoughts here I want to share with you. Now, look, if you would, again at verse 23. David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my 
Some translations say anxieties, but the idea is, know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's really interesting is that back in the first part of this psalm, David would say, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He said, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. He said, you're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, O Lord, but you know it all together. The word searched means to bore a hole, to pierce through. And what David is saying is, God, you know me inside out, top to bottom, side to side. You know everything about me. There are a couple of thoughts, I think, that emerge out of this examination. Number one, to understand God's examination will always be truthful. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. The Bible tells us that God has the ability to examine our lives and to do so without bias. There will be no misrepresentation of our character, of what He sees, but rather it will be a very candid, concise summation of what He sees. So to understand that if God were to probe our heart, if the Lord were to look deeply into the recesses of our very being, that whatever He assesses, it will be true, to be correct, to be no flaws. But then secondly, I would submit to you, it will be thorough. When you invite the Lord to examine your life, now David has already said, it's interesting that he makes claim that God has already searched him. He said, you know me. You know exactly what I am and who I am. You know my life. He said, you're acquainted with all my ways. You know me so much so that if I sit down, you know it. If I rise up, you know it. Talking about the fact that the Lord knows everything, His omniscience. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 2, when the Lord surveyed the seven churches of Asia, He said on one occasion that He is the one who searches the heart and mind. God has the ability to size me up, doesn't He? So David is making a very passionate plea, a very personal plea, Inviting the Lord to investigate his life, to look at him, to show him what he finds. And then we think about this examination to understand that whatever God sees, it's going to be the right thing. In other words, it's going to be true. It will be thorough. There are times in life when maybe we ask somebody, give me your assessment of what you think about me. Tell me what you see. Well, sometimes we might get the truth, maybe sometimes not so much. No one this side of eternity has the ability to make a thorough examination. 
of our spiritual life. Sometimes you'll hear an oncologist say, after a patient has gone through surgery, radiation, chemo, etc., the oncologist will say, I can't tell you that there's no cancer. I can't give you that assurance. Based on what I see from the scans, you look clear. But there might be something hidden. That's not the case with God. God is very thorough in His assessment of us. So there's an invitation, an examination, and then thirdly, a summation. Now David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And show me if there's anything wicked in my way. So I want to ask you a very personal question. What does God see when He probes your life? When God places your life under His microscopic eye, what does He see? Wasn't it the Hebrew writer who said, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in His sight? But all things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. In other words, God sees all and God knows all. So what does God see when He looks at your life? But then there's a second question. Let's just say that we, like David, invite God to do a thorough examination of our life. And we, like David, say, God, I want you to be very honest and candid. Tell me what you see. So here's my question. What would God say? Now, you know, it's one thing to ask, what does God see? But a second thing, what would God say? If we're sitting down across the table from the Lord, and we're looking eye to eye, and we're conversing, and we're having a very candid conversation, and we ask the Lord, what do you see? But then, we want to know, what will you say? What would he say to you? So, with that being the case, let's now talk about some application. Look again at what David said. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. So, let's just say that we have made the decision like David to invite this very thorough investigation. And God has made an examination of our life, and now He's going to give us the summation. So number one, when God evaluates my life, what does He see when it comes to my thoughts? What does God see with regard to my thoughts? Do you remember Solomon many years ago in Proverbs chapter 4? Solomon warned, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. 
In Proverbs 23, verse 7, listen to what Solomon said again. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. There's something to be said about our mind, our thoughts, the thought process. Do you remember Jesus saying on one occasion, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? In Matthew chapter 15, do you remember Jesus saying that from the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, fornications, adulteries, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies? So what does the Lord see when He evaluates your thoughts? And don't think for a minute that God doesn't know every single thought you have. He knows what you're thinking right now. It's a staggering thought, isn't it? Do you remember Jesus saying the very hairs of your head are numbered? God knows us inside out. There's nothing hidden from His all-seeing eye. And so number one, our thoughts. Number two, what does God see when it comes to my tongue? Well, the tongue's hard to handle, isn't it? Didn't James say it's a little member, but it boasts great things? Solomon wrote about the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. God not only knows what's on your tongue, but He knows what you mean when you use your tongue. You ever thought about that? He knows the motives behind what you say. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, listen to him, the mouth speaks. Went on to say, Every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. By your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. So what about your tongue? You've got two possibilities. You can use your tongue for good or evil. There are some people, they just have a very gracious way about them, don't they? Solomon talked about the tongue on a number of occasions in Proverbs 31. The inspired writer in that context talks about the worthy woman whose price is far above rubies. When you read Proverbs 31, the conclusion is this was a very special, godly woman. He said she opens her mouth in wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. Is that a representation of your tongue? Didn't Paul say, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth? but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up 
We can build one another up or we can tear one another down with the tongue. Some people have become verbal assassins, haven't they? They have the ability to just cut a person up. So number one, what does God see when it comes to my thoughts? Number two, what does God see when it comes to my tongue? Number three, what does God see when it comes to my temperament? The people that you work with, could I say to you they have sized you up? They know you. They know your character. They know what you stand for. They know what you don't stand for. They know what's important to you, and in many respects, they know what's not important to you. So your temperament, how you carry yourself, how you live day to day, how you interact with other people, what do people see? Paul could say in the long ago, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Peter tells us that Jesus left us an example that we should follow in His steps. Well, what are you saying, Peter? Peter is telling us that we are to live a Christ-like life. When Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, let no one despise your youth, but I want you to be an example to the believers. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Timothy, I want you to show people what it means to be a New Testament Christian. So when people see you, do they see a New Testament Christian? Is that how you carry yourself? In the home? On the job? The ball field? Tennis courts? The grocery? The department store? Do people see something different about you? Look, David is saying, search me, O God. Know me. Try me. Know my thoughts. Show me if there is anything that's wicked in my way. So what does God see? What does God see in you? Now listen, the Lord had already sized David up, but David made a plea for a more in-depth investigation. Would you have the courage to invite God into your heart and to just go with you from day to day through your thought process? Would you invite God to be with you 24-7 and to listen to your speech, to what you say? Would you invite God to examine your temperament, your character, how you conduct your life on a daily basis? Here's a fourth thing. What would God see in my treatment of others? Well, it's getting down where we live, isn't it? How do you treat other people? Let me tell you what. The way we treat one another says something about who we are and about 
whose we are. How do you treat other people? Are you kind, compassionate, caring, loving? Do you go the extra mile? Do you try to say good things about people rather than running them in the ground? How do you treat other people? Are you willing to forgive other people? You know, there are some folks, they have a problem forgiving others. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, I want you to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Sometimes we're too proud to let go. And we're going to hold something over another person's head day after day after day. Is that how you treat your wife? Is that how you treat your husband? Is that how you treat your children? Is that how you deal with your co-workers? Is that how you deal with friends? Is that how you deal with people who are members of the body of Christ? You want to be forgiven? You better learn to forgive. David is saying, look, I want you, Lord, to look me over. I want you to give me an honest and frank assessment of where I am in this life. We're right across the table from the Lord. He's evaluated our thoughts, our tongue, our temperament. He knows how we treat one another. And now he's going to turn in the fifth place and talk about our treasures. What does God see when it comes to my treasures? And here's what I mean by that. What is it that you value the most in life? I'm not talking about your children. I'm not talking about your spouse, the relationship that you have with your spouse. Now, granted, I believe those are important relationships. But I'm talking about what is it that you treasure the absolute most in this life? Tell me three things that you treasure above all other things. What would those things be? Is it your job? What about your hobbies? Well, I just want to spend time playing golf, or I just want to do more hunting, fishing, etc. Is that at the top of the list? I mean, what is it that really makes you tick? I mean, what is it that you treasure above any and everything in this life? Just tell me. What is it? Let me tell you what we ought to treasure. Above everything in this world, we ought to treasure our relationship with God. Do you believe that? Have we marginalized God so much in our life 
that rather than God controlling the entirety of the house, He controls a room. And not a big room in the house, but just a very small space in life. What do you treasure? You remember the psalmist in the long ago talked about how much he loved the Word of God more than thousands of shekels of gold and silver? Do you love God's Word above your bank account? Yes or no? Either you do or you don't. Do you love God more than all your material possessions put together? If I were to stop by your home today and I were to just go through your home with you, and you show me all the beautiful furniture and all the beautiful settings and all the things that you've got. We go out in your garage, I see your automobiles and your other play toys and things. Is that where your treasure lies? Is that what it's all about? I mean, is that what's most important in your life? Remember what Jesus said? We're talking about the teaching of Jesus, aren't we? I mean, doesn't Jesus have all authority? Aren't we supposed to be seeking Him first in life before anything else? Isn't He to be our life, as Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 4? Are we not to be setting our affections on things above and not on things which are upon this earth? Don't misunderstand me. I am grateful. I am very thankful to have money in the bank. I'm grateful for all the many material blessings God has given me. But what I'm telling you is, I can't take those things with me. When I leave this world, the only thing that I will take in my possession is the Word of God. And you know why? Because it is an eternal Word. That's the only thing that's going to meet me on the other side, the Word of God. I better treasure it. And I better treasure the great, vast spiritual blessings that I have in Christ Jesus. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he wrote to people that may have viewed themselves as impoverished, lacking, and yet, Paul said that every spiritual blessing resides in Christ in the heavenly places. In verse 7, he said, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to him. According to the riches of His grace. If you are a child of God, you are rich. Is that what you value most? When it's all said and done, what we treasure most will be reflected when we stand before Him on the day of judgment. So when David and the long ago said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Show me if there is anything wicked in my way. And then this plea, Lead me in the way everlasting. Where do you want to be a hundred years from now? You won't be here. Where do you plan to be? Jesus said, 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where are you going to be? If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, God has placed your life under a microscope. And you realize that through intense investigation, maybe your life's not where it ought to be. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. You're not a Christian. Well, you need to become a Christian. You need to do that before you leave this world. And I can assure you, you will leave this world unless Jesus comes first. Do you believe the claims of Jesus that He was the Son of God? Would you walk away from a life of sin through repentance? Would you confess His name before others? Would you be willing to be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away? If you're here today and you haven't done that, I encourage you strongly to do so before you leave. Let's say you're a child of God. And your life's been out of whack, out of kilter, off the tracks for a long time. And you understand your life is not where it ought to be. Could I encourage you to make the necessary steps to get your life in harmony with Almighty God? Don't leave here without the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, He's talking to Christians in that context, 1 John 1, 9. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, as Peter instructed on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38, and you're not a part of the church, then you need to obey the gospel today. If you're here and your life's not what it ought to be, then we would be more than happy. Could I tell you, we would be honored to pray with you and to pray for you as we stand and sing.